Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Who's ready to lean into the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Can I just encourage you, even over this whole weekend, sometimes when guest ministry comes in, people can look to the person holding the microphone. People can look even hoping for perhaps an individual word or an encouragement. And, or we're hoping that, okay, God, would you speak into this situation? Can I encourage you just to look to the Holy Spirit? But look with open hands today. Because I believe Father has a word for each of you. But I believe a lot of that's actually going to come corporately. And so when we have an open heart to receive that, then the Holy Spirit can work. And do you know what the wonderful thing about someone standing up here ministering is? And I actually want to encourage any of you who ever hold a microphone in your hand or if you lead a life group or you're praying for someone or you're sitting spending time giving them wisdom. You know, often after we speak or we have time with someone or we mentor someone, we can go away afterwards. Has anyone ever had this experience and you think, oh, I forgot to say that? Oh, I missed that. Oh, I know I was going to pray about that and it slipped my mind. Am I in the right place here? Has anyone ever had that happen in any situation? Okay, this is totally off notes. I haven't got to notes yet. Can I encourage you with something? This is what the Holy Spirit does. When I'm speaking here or when you're speaking, regardless of what situation, the Holy Spirit works through revelation. So today when I speak, I'm believing that you're going to hear words that I'm not saying. Are you following me? You see, the revelation is not dependent on our words. We're a vessel. And yes, we've got to speak out and deliver what God gives. But I'm believing for much greater than that today. I'm believing that you're going to receive, even if I don't say the exact words, I believe Father's going to speak through the Holy Spirit to something that you need but not only that is an encouragement for you I want you to hear me today some of you need encouragement that when you've gone away and beaten yourself up because you forgot to say something or you missed something or you think oh I should have prayed that or oh afterwards you go I could have had that piece of wisdom for them you don't know that the Holy Spirit has not spoken that in the situation because when you come with an open heart to serve and to love people and encourage people. It doesn't matter how big the setting is or whether it's one on one. This is the way the Holy Spirit works. And I know there's some of you here that needed to hear that. If that's the only thing you needed to hear today, then you go away encouraged. Actually, I'm just reminded of something and, yeah, I still haven't got much to my notes yet. We might get to notes eventually. Steve and I were listening to an um, interview the other day with uh, Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes and they were talking about this whole thing of how we can tend to go away and criticise ourselves, you know, be self-depreciating. And one thing that T.D. Jakes said that really struck me was he said he still goes away and listens to the voice if the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, next time you can do that better. But what he's done is he's turned the volume down. The volume's not a 10 anymore. It's just down to a three. And that means we can still listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's prompting us. But it's not the only voice and it's not the most powerful voice. So church, be encouraged. The next time you go away thinking, hey, I didn't do that right, tell the devil, well, the Holy Spirit got it covered. 
The Holy Spirit is a better, Steve said this, the Holy Spirit is a better Holy Spirit than any of you or me. The Holy Spirit does a better job at speaking to us. Amen? Amen. So let's lean in today. But I am believing today that you are going to hear things that I'm not saying. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yes, you're going to receive things as I speak, but I believe you're going to receive things that are far greater. You're going to receive revelation. So I just encourage you to open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what have you got for me today? Today. So today I felt the Lord lay a word on my heart and we're going to speak about God's divine equations today. God's divine equations. And I believe the wonderful Ben, I don't even know who Ben is. <laughs> this is really sad. Is Ben here today? Ben's not, Ben's not here. Thank you very much, Ben, because Ben has put this lovely presentation together for me. God's divine equations. Now, when I say equations, some of you are automatically going to panic. Who doesn't like maths here? Yep, a few of you. Who loves maths? Okay, hopefully you're all going to be blessed. For those of you who don't like maths, don't panic because God's divine equations actually don't add up. That's the good news. It's actually the great news. Let me give you an example of a divine equation just to start off so you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you all know the story of the five loaves and two fishes. Does everyone know that story? Yes. So here's a divine equation for you. We start off with five loaves and two fishes handed to Jesus. Jesus prays over them, gives thanks, breaks them up, so he starts dividing them. Then he hands them out to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. So we've got to be talking tens of thousands of people, okay? But then we collect, the disciples collect 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, how does five loaves plus two fishes divided up feed maybe 20 plus thousand people and get 12 baskets of leftovers. There's no equation that can add that up. That is a divine equation. We're actually going to do some maths in the Bible, but not complicated maths. We're going to do maths which is actually going to encourage you because today I believe the Father wants to reveal his heart in who he is, but also in the divine equations he's been working in your lives that you might not have even been aware of. And so we're going to start with some divine equations. And yes, there are some notes up here on the board. So let's get into it. All right. Number one, every divine equation starts with God, finishes with God and has God as the source. Um, Steve actually just started preaching this before in his exhortation, which is great. You know, God is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning And the end, he is from everlasting to everlasting. You know, there's no divine equation that can actually describe God. He is beyond anything that we can describe or understand. But this is an important point because when we talk about divine equations, they always start with God. They always finish with God and they always have God as the source. Now, one scripture you should know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Say it with me, church. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, us. It starts with God. He is always the initiator. And here's the thing, the divine equation. Now, all of you who know maths know that if you have an equation with zero in it, particularly zero plus zero or zero times zero, what does it equal? 
zero. In our humanity, if we need to create something, we need a starting place. To create this lectern here, someone needed raw materials to start with. They may have had an idea, a conception in their mind, but they need something to make it from. Not God. God can take nothing, which is how he created the whole heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? God created everything out of nothing. God is supernatural. God is miraculous. What we see in a divine equation is always supernatural. It is not natural. We're not talking about temporary things here. We're talking about eternal things, things of eternal worth. And I'm setting this up because we've got to go somewhere with this because it is Important for us to understand God's character and his nature. You see, if I have... We'll do a bit of maths now. Let's go to Pastor Jeremy. Jeremy, you can do this. I have faith in you. If I have two apples and you give me two apples, how many apples do I have? No, if I have two already and then... Come back, come back. I put him four. on this. I put him on the spot. Yes, four. Good. I'll I'll go easier next time. It's not much easier. <laughs> Gee, I thought I was only the one, the only one who mucked up under pressure. But you just made me feel much better. Hasn't hasn't Jeremy just made everyone feel much better? Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about now. That was good. Two plus two does equal four. Not in God's divine equations. But you see, in the Bible, we're not going to see words like addition and subtraction much. Okay? Even though there's a whole book of numbers. But what I want us to keep an eye out for is God's character. Because God is a giving God. God is a giving God. That is addition and sometimes even multiplication. God gives. As soon as we give something to someone, if I give you $10, I've just added $10 to what you have. And all through the Bible, we actually see things that are mathematical because God created them, but we don't always see them. I mean, at the start of Genesis, you probably know this one, be fruitful and multiply. Also at the start of Genesis, when God created... The light and the darkness, what did he do? He separated, he divided, if you look in the King James Version. He divided them. There's a whole lot of stuff all the way through the the word of God that shows us that God is moving in supernatural ways. I don't want you to get hung up on the mat, but what I do want to focus on is the character of God. Because he is at first a loving, giving God. He is a generous God. So his heart is always to give First, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so it's important for us when we read the word not to read it looking at how do I live life better, but who is my God and what is his character and what is he like. And this is our God. Our God is a loving, giving, generous God who desires to work in supernatural ways. That's who he is. That's his character. It is nice, isn't it? Isn't that nice? 
That's not, we serve a nice God. It's not a word we use very often. But we do. We serve a nice God. He is a giving, generous God. Come on. If someone came over and gave you $1,000, you'd be like, that's a nice person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah? yeah? God's given us much more than that. That is right. Okay, number two. When God removes, he always adds something greater. Now, this is when I want, where I really want to start to lean in here. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 20. I think it's coming up on the screen. Are these coming up on the screen? Oh, yeah, on the side. Thank you so much. Can we just thank our audio, visual, whatever people they're called? I don't know what I'm supposed to call them. So often, um, audio, visual people only ever get turned around and looked at when something goes wrong. So thank you. Ooh, ooh, there's something. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 20, and it's talking about Adam's just been um, put in the garden and he was naming all the animals, which was a wonderful thing that God gave him the privilege of doing. And it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. We don't think about the taking out much. But if you start off with Adam, if you have a guy standing there and you take a rib out, in a natural equation, you've got a guy minus one rib, right? But you see, this isn't the way God works. When God removes something, it's always to add something greater. He took Adam's rib, or some versions say a part of his flesh on his side, not to withhold something, not to take something away from. He took it to create something greater. And here's something. Why did God take a rib? Why didn't he take another bone? I don't know. What other bone could he take in? A humerus. Well, that would have been funny. Why didn't he take another bone? Let me show you something. God took something that is intended to protect Adam's heart so that he could place something there that was even closer to Adam's heart. You see, we're going to talk a bit about removal today. It's not a very popular subject. If I talk about faith and your commission and your purpose and powerful prophetic words, you're all going to cheer much louder. (laughs) It's true. But you see, what can happen is when we don't understand or we misappropriate what God is actually doing, even in the painful times, even when we feel like things are being stripped away, we miss the power of God's word. We misunderstand who God is. And we either misjudge his character or we misjudge ourselves. And we end up feeling discouraged and miserable. But I'm here to encourage you today. 
that some of those things you have felt like were removals were actually God intending to add something greater. God's intention is always greater than any natural removal we can see. And it's really important right now that you hear this because when I'm talking about removals today, I'm talking about God-initiated removals. I am not talking about tragedies and loss and betrayal. I'm not talking about natural disasters that can wipe out houses and people. I'm not talking about the war that is going on right now that is being caused by an evil human being that is you know, trying to take over land and destroying people's lives. I'm not talking about that because they're not God-initiated. Okay, are you hearing me? I'm not talking about things that are sometimes devastating in our lives that we don't even have answers for. I'm not talking about when there's even prayers that go unanswered. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we know that God has initiated something that he wants to remove from our lives. And I'm going to give some specifics of that in a moment. But it's important that we hear the character and heart of God. The character and heart of God is only ever to remove to replace with something far greater and far more supernatural. Is this making sense? God's heart is to add, not to remove. So when you see removal, we need to have our spiritual eyes opened so that we can see what he intends to add. Not just in the word. It's sometimes easy in the word because you go, oh, yeah, I can see the end of the story now. We can't always see the end of the story for ourselves. But God has the same intention for us, but we can get stuck or lost along the way because we don't understand. We don't understand. And yet the Father's heart for us is loving, it's giving. He desires to add. He desires to add, to multiply, to give greater. So I'm here to encourage you today that if you've been going through a process, perhaps even feeling like stuff's being stripped away, And you're going, God, what is happening? What are you doing, God? If you feel like God's been prompting you to remove stuff, you're going, why, God? I don't understand why you'd ask me to let that go, to give that up. Then I'm here to encourage you that if that's you, God has a desire to do something greater. And the reason God prompts these things is not because we are bad people that he wants to make better. The reason he prompts these things is because he has greater supernatural power that he wants to bring and pour out upon us and through us. And so I actually want to show you that scripturally. Amen? Are we receiving this today? Are you encouraged today? If you're not, just go ask, wait for Steve. All right. Number three, whenever there is encounter and commission, there is always removal. Whenever there is encounter and commission, there is always removal. Now, I'm going to show you some biblical examples of this because this is, this is actually one of the keys to our Christian faith and to walking not in discouragement. Now, Steve started speaking about identity before. Um, The devil is a great identity theft. And we can lose our identity or lose our sense of identity because we are misunderstanding what happens 
as men and women of God. Am I speaking to any great men and women of faith here? Three of you. Am I speaking to any great men and women of faith here? Being a great man and woman of faith doesn't mean you have to be a Billy Graham. It means you have to have great faith inside of you to simply hear and obey whatever God's calling you to do. That's all being a great man and woman of faith is. It's not about your title or your role. But do you know that every great man and woman of faith, both in the Bible and throughout history, everyone who has had an encounter with God and who has had a commission from God also goes through a process of removal. Every single person, myself included, Steve included. And can I just say, preaching this message, hallelujah, yes, I've been going through some processes of stripping. And it's painful. But that's what God intends to bring out something greater. Amen. So let's have a look at this from a scriptural perspective. Are we good? Yes, it's good to go to the word. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 and then down to verse 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? I don't know if it was you, but I'd be like, what the heck? (laughs) That sounds very like proper to me. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from him within the bush. Listen to this. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So now go, I'm down to verse 10 now. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Encounter with God in the burning bush. A commission to go and free his people, God's people from slavery. But there was a removal that needed to happen. Now, this is an interesting one, but we've got to talk about it. Because God said, take off your sandals. But he said, don't come any closer. Sometimes there are things in our lives that are completely amoral. And when I say amoral, that's the letter A before the word moral. That means they are neither good nor bad. A pair of shoes is not good or bad. A bottle of water is not good or bad. They don't have any character. They're not evil and they're not good. They are amoral. Now, things can be used for evil purposes, but they in and of themselves are not. Now, Moses' sandals would have actually been a good idea. He would have been in the hot desert. I'm sure there were rocks and thorns on the ground, perhaps some nasty little scorpions running around. And so for Moses to take his sandals off was not because they were bad. But the Lord says, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. Sometimes the Lord asks us to remove things in our lives which are totally got nothing to do with anything bad. It could be a physical thing in your life. He He might call you to give finances into something. He might say, give up this hobby. He might say, I want you not to spend as much time in that relationship. Nothing bad about any of them. 
But we misunderstand. But sometimes the Lord is saying, I need you to put that aside so that you can have a full encounter with me. So that you can come into my presence. Because in his presence, he is a holy God. And sometimes we don't realise that even the things in our lives which which are not um, amoral can still hinder us. They can still hinder us. But we mustn't then be hard on ourselves. Oh, I'm such a bad person. God's asking me to give up this and that. Can I encourage you? If we get into the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is prompting us about things, whether that's personally or corporately, this is a good thing, church. In fact, the most dangerous thing would be a church that gets into the presence of God and never has a prompting at all. Think about Isaiah encountering the presence of the Lord and he said, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. One touch from the Lord through that coal from the altar and he was cleansed. His, his guilt was atoned for, it says. But then straight away, the Lord says, who will go? And Isaiah says, what does he say? Send me. You see, a church that gets into the presence of the Lord and has conviction is a good thing. We avoid it because we live in a world and a culture which says avoid anything that makes you feel bad. Now, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, so we should never feel condemnation. But godly sorrow that leads to repentance should be a healthy part of our Christianity. It should be a healthy part. Like when Peter had denied Jesus three times. He wept. He was sorrowful. He was grieved in his heart because he realised. But that's not where it stops. Then he sees Jesus and Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, regardless of what the Holy Spirit's prompting us on, let's not shut that aside because occasionally we feel that godly sorrow. Let's embrace it wholeheartedly, knowing that as we do, we're going to walk more freely in the commission that he's called us to because we are all called. Every believer has a commission. We are all called to go into the world and make disciples. We also have other callings aside from that too. But we don't need to go into that because if we're all following our calling, then we are living according to his purposes. Let's have a look at another scripture here. Actually, we're going to skip that one. Can we go straight to Hebrews 12 if that works? Does that work for our thank you people? Hebrews 12. Whoops. don't know what I just did to my notes there, but. It just shot up. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now, before I read this, who knows what Hebrews chapter 11 is about? What's the theme of that whole chapter? Faith. Faith. Three of you knew that. Good. Go and read your Bible, people. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Yep. Steve always says, I'm allowed to say it. I have the microphone. So I have the microphone. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It talks about all these heroes of the faith. Who wants to have more faith? Anyone? Two of you. Come on, who wants to have more faith? Who wants to have the faith that means when God says, go and do this and it sounds ridiculous that you just go, I'm going. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost me. Who wants to have that kind of faith? 
All right. So here's the way to have that faith. At the end of chapter 11, we go into chapter 12 and it says, therefore, which we all know if we've been around church long enough, what's it there for? Because of what was spoken just before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, which is the stuff that's amoral, and the sin which so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of our faith. Now, here's the thing we sometimes do in churches. All right, I might step on a few toes here. Not actually. Well, I could if I get too close. Do you know what we sometimes do in our faith? We're like, I need more faith. I need more faith. And, you know, we get on this little train journey. I need more faith. I am the train that can. Who's ever done that? Come on, I just got to stir up my faith. I stir up more faith, more faith, more faith, add more faith. Now, we've got to speak the whole word of, the God, word of God in context because it does talk about adding to your faith goodness and to your goodness. I don't even know the rest of the scripture. Does someone know it? doesn't matter. We are called to, yes, ask for. We're called to ask for more. Okay, we're called to pray. But after all that chapter on faith, you'd think it would say, so stir up your faith, right? Yeah. It doesn't. It says get rid of some stuff. It says remove some stuff because it's not the more faith that holds us back when we're in those moments when the Lord speaks. It's not having the more faith that holds us back. It's the things that hinder us, that stop us stepping out. It's the fear of man. You know, a lot of the times what God wants to remove is not even a physical thing. It's in here. It's in our minds. It's the self-doubt. It's the feelings of insignificance. It's the feelings of, oh, I can't do that because I don't have the training, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have the charisma, I don't have the anointing, I don't have the gifting. Why would you call me to do that, God? That's what God wants to remove. You see, when God called Peter to follow him, he was a fisherman. I mean, go figure. Call someone with a bit more knowledge of the Word of God, hey? Isn't that what we think? Let's be honest here. Even sometimes when we're called or when we're asked to do something, we think, ask someone with a bit more experience, please. Ask someone who's had some training. Ask someone who knows what they're doing. But God just calls a humble fisherman. And so he had to, Peter had to leave his nets behind so that he could make fishes of men. When God says leave something behind... It's for something greater. You see, God doesn't withhold. But for Peter, I'm just going to go here because I feel to go here. For Peter, that was not the end of the journey. You see, he had that encounter with Jesus. He had a commission, a very simple commission. Come, follow me. And then he had to leave his nets behind. There was a removal. But that wasn't the only removal. You see... Peter had to have a removal of his fear of man and probably of his fear of what happened if he truly followed Jesus. I guarantee when he was sitting around that fireplace, even though he loved the Lord with his whole heart, he knew that Jesus had been taken in and that he was going on the road to crucifixion because Jesus had told them that. So Peter would have had a fear of, I might lose my life 
if I acknowledge Jesus right now? See, the nets were not the only thing that needed to be removed. Needed to remove that fear of man. And so, even though Peter went through the stumble, and this is for some of you here, it doesn't matter if you stumble, as long as you get up and go again. Peter got up and went again. And we don't exactly know when that fear of man was removed because it's not recorded. But this is the thing about reading the Word of God. You can see it in the later outcome. And we see it for Peter at the day of Pentecost. Because suddenly here comes a man who does not want to say that he even knows Jesus to a man who stands up confidently after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and not only preaches the gospel and says, repent and be baptized, but he said, you're the ones who killed him. He is willing to speak the hard truth. And of course, because of that, over thousands of people believed that day. Why? Because he had to remove his fear of man. But let me show you something else. That wasn't the only thing he had to have removed. Are you getting this? Encounter and commission and removal is a cycle. It is not a one-time event. It is not a one-time event, church. If we think it's a one-time event, we're going to breed discouragement in ourselves and we're going to breed judgment of other people. Because Peter down the track, was on the roof and he has a vision. Does anyone know the story? He has a vision. All this food gets lowered. Short, long story short, the Lord says, you can, you can eat of all this stuff that in the Jewish culture would have been unclean. <laughs> Steve just said barbecue. <laughs> Always thinking about meat. But here's the thing. He had an encounter with the Lord He had to remove what now? A mindset. A mindset that was limiting. Let me read you what the word hinder says. Back to that. um, Try again. Back to Hebrews 12. Hinder means to limit the ability of someone to do something or to limit the development of something. You see, the Holy Spirit's intention was to release the gospel. Peter's current mindset until he had that vision was limiting because he's like, I can't go eat with these people. I can't do that. And so Peter has an encounter with the Lord and then he has a removal of a mindset and then once again he has a commission. Go and speak to Cornelius and if we know the story, if not you can read it in Acts chapter 10 about how Cornelius and his whole family then got saved. You see, this is the model. This is one of the keys that we need to understand. Otherwise, we think, I've done my salvation. I've done my repentance. I should be good now. And we misunderstand when the Lord prompts us on things. We misunderstand when the Holy Spirit speaks to us because we take it as almost a personal, oh, I'm such a bad person. And yes, in comparison to the Lord, of course, we can't compare. He is holy. But our salvation is not in question. This is about the encounter that removes from us that which would hinder the spreading of the gospel. That's all it comes down to. You know, I know we talk about a lot of things in church and we need to be real. We need to be real. 
John chapter 15 verse 2 talks about pruning. That he will prune every branch that bears fruit. Pruning is painful. Pruning is painful. Come on, can we be honest, church? But here's the thing. When I was meditating on this, the Lord reminded me of a story. And last year we had to get some neighbour's trees cut down. So they were planted in our neighbour's backyard. But the way the sun grew and the wind blew, the trees were all, they were ornamental pears. And so they were all growing over our fence. And they were quite high um, and being little city folk, we don't have chainsaws and <laughs> massive ladders like you country folk probably do. And I don't mean that rudely. I would love to be a country folk. So we had to call someone in to prune these trees. But here's the thing. Those trees and the growth of those trees was not affecting the neighbour at all. But they were limiting, they were actually killing the grass on our side and they were killing the shrubs because our shrubs and grass were getting no sunlight and they were not getting water. You see, sometimes when God asks you to prune something or remove something, it's not even for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the people that you're leading, that you're discipling, that you're speaking into, that he's going to call you to speak into. You see, we think of pruning only for us, but the fruit that we bear is to be fruitful for others. We don't just gorge ourselves on the fruit. And so when the Lord says to prune, when the Lord says prompts you to remove something from your life. And I know that I know, because God's called me to speak this word, that some of you have been undergoing a stripping process and you've been misunderstanding it. You've been misjudging both yourself and even the Lord because of what's been happening. But we have to come back to the Lord always is a giving, loving God. He always wants to add more. So be encouraged today that if this, is, if this is speaking to your heart, and I pray that not only the words, but I pray that he's starting to remind you of situations and you're having a bit of an aha moment. This is not just for you. Yes, it is for you, but it's actually for a much greater purpose. This is for your neighbours. This is for those you are encouraging. And when I say encouraging, that's whatever your role may be plus anyone you come into contact with. You know, there's a scripture in half of the stuff I'm going to say is not even up there. So if you look up there and it's not there it's, and the guys are probably going, well, where's that scripture? Thank you. Sorry. This is what happens when prophetic people speak. You just go here, there and everywhere. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 3 that we probably all know. You know, there's a season for everything, you know. There's a time for everything. Yep. We talk about that. We kind of usually stop at the first one. There's a time for every activity under the heavens. We don't want to talk about the next bit because there's a time for building up, but there's also a time for tearing down. There's a time for planting and there's a time for uprooting. And I'm speaking corporately now too because sometimes the Lord speaks to us as a church and says that program needs to go, that event needs to go, that needs to change, this needs to transition, and it can be difficult. But when it's the word of the Lord, it's always because he intends to bring something greater. And here's the other thing you need to hear, that this is vitally important. Because there is a time to tear down, 
in God, not in our flesh. If we ever tear down in the flesh, we've jumped right over the other side. But because there is a time that Father does initiate things being pulled down, and I've experienced this in my own life. I've run an organisation that the Lord said, close it. And I'm talking a big organisation and we closed it, full stop. And that was okay because I didn't have my identity tied up in it. But we need to talk about it because sometimes we can. We can feel tied to things. And so we we can grieve. And that's okay. We can grieve the loss of things. We can, we can go through a process because of the change. But here's the thing I need you to hear today, church. When someone is going through a process of removal, either personally or corporately, we need to be the ones also building up. We need to speak words of encouragement. We need to be real enough to talk to our, our teammates, our friends, our family and say, hey, I'm just going through a time where I feel like God's stripping stuff away and it's painful. And so what do we need to do? We need to build up. There is a time to tear down, but it's not our job to tear down. And when I say that, I have to be careful because it sounds negative. But sometimes God literally does tear down things. It can be quite violent. But our job is never to tear down unless we're tearing down the works of the enemy, people. Never people themselves. Our job is to build up. When someone's going through this stripping process and we become aware of it, our job is to encourage, to pour in life, to pray with them, not to have the answers. You see, God's ways are higher than our ways. If we're in the middle of a situation, let's not give a cliche that says, oh, well, you've had this removed. You've had an investment property removed, so God's going to give you five more now. Well, he might not. He might be removing that investment property because he wants to do something totally different in your life and you just haven't seen it yet. Let's not give cliches, but let's give godly encouragement. Let's speak life into them that says God is doing something and I have faith in you, I have faith in God and I have faith in who he's called you to be and I can see it and I can see him working in you. Like we saying Waymaker, you know, he's always moving. He is still working. Amen. Amen. You know, there is many examples of great men and women of faith. I'm just going to read through a few of these because I feel like we need to be encouraged today. Does anyone need – can we be honest here? Does anyone need a bit of encouragement today? Good. We all do. You're right. Abraham, he had to leave his father's household, had to leave his country. And then, of course, we know he had to – Go on the journey of being tested to sacrifice, to lay down. Anytime we give up something, we're talking about those divine equations. But, of course, God worked mightily in that. Gideon, here's the one I love. Gideon. Poor Gideon. I feel for Gideon. Does anyone feel for Gideon when you read Gideon's stories? Like, I'm the least of my, you know, I come from the least tribe of the Twelves and I'm the least of my tribe and I'm hiding out in the... Threshing floor, you know. Gideon had a problem with feelings of low self-esteem. He felt insignificant. Do you know what? When you start reading the Bible looking through what God had to remove, not just physically or naturally that you can see, then you start to see that God actually had to remove those feelings of insignificance. And he did that 
by instead of having 32,000 men with him, he stripped him right down to 300. Why? So that Gideon's significance would not be reliant on the number of the army, but on the Lord God for victory. You see, there is always a connection. Abraham was removed from his father's household in order to birth a generation. He had to be removed from the safety of what he knew. And I'm sure that would have grieved him as a man of God to not yet have a child to keep the lineage going because that was all about what the intention and command of God was, be fruitful and multiply. You know, Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, what was removed? Come on, speak up. His sight. You see, Jesus removed his natural sight because he needed to greatly increase his spiritual sight. You think about how much wisdom and revelation the Apostle Paul had. Every time we see encounter, commission, there is always a removal if we know what to look for. And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. When we don't see from heaven's perspective, we either see God incorrectly or ourselves incorrectly. But we need to add a third dimension, which is the divine equation. Let's not misjudge God's character or us. Let's actually look at it from the divine equation. And understand that if there is a removal, that God wants to add something greater. Amen. How are we doing? Do we have a particular time for afternoon tea? Whenever I'm ready. Hopefully this is a divine equation. You know those divine equations when you're dating someone and and five hours seems to go in ten minutes? I'm hoping it's that kind of divine equation, not the other way around where ten minutes sitting being jabbed with a needle feels like two hours. So, Amen. Are we receiving something today? Good, good. All right, number four. We're getting there. We're nearly finished. The greatest divine equation we can participate in is salvation through Jesus Christ. The greatest divine equation that we can participate in is salvation through Jesus Christ. This is important for some of you to hear because some of you are waiting for the greatest. Some of you think the greatest is yet to come. Now, I don't mean that to say faith in terms of what God is doing and what you're believing for. But some of you have miscalculated what your greatest divine equation is. And personally, for each of us, the greatest divine equation we can participate in is salvation through Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. I have some physical infirmities. Even if they get healed miraculously, that is not as great as my salvation through Jesus Christ. Even if I saw someone raised from the dead, for me, that is still not as great as my salvation. It is still not as great. You think about salvation. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Removal. He took it away. He blotted it out. He exchanged death for eternal life. He exchanged slavery for freedom. This is supernatural. This is supernatural and we need to encourage ourselves that no matter what we're praying for, no matter what we are hoping for in the future that the Lord will do, nothing is as great 
as the eternal divine equation of salvation. And the wonderful thing about this is once you've received it, you're not waiting anymore. You have actually received the greatest. And I want to talk about our position and identity in Christ. Our position and our identity in Christ. Because as much as we think we have a grip on it, let's be real, when we go through challenges, one of the first things that comes under attack is who we are. Who we are and who he is. Who we are and who he is. And so I want to talk about our divine equation And when I say our divine equation, I don't mean that from a sense of ownership, like it's ours because we can all participate in it and it's individual and then it becomes a corporate thing. I mean our divine equation in terms of our identity. So this is number five, our divine equation. And we are going to do a bit of maths on the board in a second. Don't put it up yet. I heard a groan then. Wow. I heard a groan. Who groaned? There's a bit of finger pointing going on in the front row here. That's okay. So we are going to talk about brackets. Does anyone know how to use brackets in maths? I'm looking around for a a maths. Who, Who likes maths? Good. Linda knows how to do maths. We're going to do brackets. Now, if you're going to be really, really, really correct, they're actually called parentheses, but... If I try and say that five or six times, I know I'm going to stumble over it. So we're just going to simplify it down to brackets because it means the same thing. All right, so we're going to put an equation up on the board. If you can pop that first part up there. So we have an equation which says five times and then in brackets, three plus one equals. All right, now give everyone a moment to work that out. Let's see if we can do this. And then on the count of three, we're all going to call out the answer. One, two, three. Oh, very good. I heard, I heard one little, oh, someone's being cheeky over there. Yes, the answer is 20. So the power of these brackets is that we have to apply the values of whatever is in the brackets together. You can't separate them, right? If we put that same sum up there and the brackets are removed and it just says 5 times 3 plus 1, now what does it equal? 16. Wow, see, you're all great at maths. What are you talking about you don't like maths? Is this the first time you've ever done maths in church? First time I've ever done maths in church. Actually, no, I can't say that. I did speak this the other day, so I have done maths before. But before that, that was the first time I'd done maths in church. And I'm no maths teacher. But here's the thing. You cannot separate the values in the brackets. If you do separate them the equation changes. So let's have a look at number five, our divine equation. What does it look like? It's very simple, but it's actually a lot deeper than you're going to realise. Two words in brackets. In Christ. In Christ. Let me read you the dictionary definition of brackets. Brackets are used to enclose what is contained within from the rest of the context. What is contained within the brackets should be considered separate from the rest of the equation 
or the sentence. Now, for those of you who know the Word of God, think about how many times, particularly the Apostle Paul, uses the words in Christ, in him, in Jesus Christ, or any version thereof. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For you died, which is for you died to your sins, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. This is your picture of salvation in Christ. That is your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Even when a prompting comes and you need to repent, Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is important to understand. If you do feel condemnation, does that mean you've jumped out of the brackets? No. Very good, Jeanette. Thank you. It does not. What it means is our perception of our identity in Christ has changed. Whether through our self-talk or through what the enemy is saying, we are believing a lie. This equation here does not change. From the moment we get into sal- from the moment we participate in salvation, our identity is in Christ. Those brackets cannot be removed. But that's not always how we see it. Sometimes we see it differently. If you can pop up that next slide, please. Sometimes we see our equation like this. We see it like you or ourselves, our past, our experiences, our sin. Sorry, I'm standing in the way of some of you. Plus Christ. Somewhere along our journey, we add Jesus Christ in and then we have circumstances And we wonder why the equation sometimes feels like it adds up to a whole lot of confusion. Am I talking to the right crowd here? Here's the reason this equation is wrong. We experience life on a lineal timeline. What I mean by that is we can count the seconds and the days and the hours. We can look back and go, oh, when I was 20, I did this and... I won't go too far forward for me because then you'll all know my age. That's okay, I'm 47 and proud of it. But we experience life linearly, try saying that five times fast. So we tend to look at our salvation equation, our identity as a lineal equation, but it's not. Salvation is a divine equation. It cannot be added up on a lineal time frame because this is only what we experience on earth. As soon as we participate in salvation, our experience is still lineal. We still walk day to day through the temporal world, but what we are living from is supernatural. We live from being in Christ. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, that doesn't mean we still can't remember experiences and sometimes sins. But what does it say about the Lord and our sins? It says he blots out our transgressions. He remembers them no more. Now, how can an all-knowing God remember our sins no more? It actually means that he chooses to remember them. It doesn't mean that he's suddenly gotten forgetful. It means he chooses to remember them no more. That equation does not exist anymore. We are in Christ. That's where our position and identity is. Let me show you a scripture that really breaks this down for us. It's one that you're probably familiar with, but I'm hoping that you will see this now through spiritual eyes. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and then verse 38 and 39. It says, who shall separate us? (laughs) 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. That is the biblical picture in Christ. Now it is as an example but I'm hoping that today, because our, our natural eyes are so powerful, that seeing that, even on the screen, will be powerful spiritually to you. You cannot be separated. You cannot be separated. Is this sinking in? Regardless of the depth that you are going through, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. The mountaintops, the valleys, you cannot be separated. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is our identity in Christ. And when we understand that and when we look at God and even what's happening in our circumstances from that point of view and from what he's doing in our life, even when we feel like it's a removal, then we can start to see with eyes of spiritual revelation. Then we can start to see... Not just with natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes. You know, in Christ, it's eternal. It's not temporal, which means temporary. It's supernatural. It's not natural. There is nothing natural about our salvation in Christ Jesus. It's not by our works. It's by faith. And I know you know this as leaders, but sometimes we need to come back to the simplicity so that we can see the greater that he's wanting to do corporately as leaders and also individually in our lives. You know, in Christ is more powerful than your past. It is more powerful than your past. Can I share something for a couple of minutes? Is that okay before we break for afternoon tea? Sometimes we can talk about in Christ being more powerful than our past. But when it comes down to it, when we're on our bed at night, when we have regrets, when we're coming under attack, it can feel like it's not. It can feel like the past carries greater weight. And yet I actually want to remind you in this moment by just sharing something that the Lord showed me recently. Because God did a divine equation in my life, not only at the point of salvation, but something which I never could imagine. You see, 30 years ago, at around this time, I don't have the exact dates marked down, but 30 years ago, at around this time, I had just come back to the Lord. I was 17 years old. And I was pregnant and unwed. I had previously run away from home. I'd had a whole lot of stuff going on. I was totally broken at the time, even coming back to the Lord. I did not have a radical conversion where I suddenly ran around and ministered to everyone and got my, all my unsaved friends saved and I'd been in a bad situation. I came home. I was, I was saved. I had that point of salvation. 
But I didn't understand all this yet. And yet God was still working. And he was doing a divine equation that I had no idea about. No idea about. And here's the thing I want to encourage you with. At that time, because we've actually just a couple of years ago, we've worked it out. At that time, around 30 years ago, when I gave my life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit was speaking to David and Margaret McCracken, Steve's parents, who were currently based in New Zealand. And the Lord spoke to them and said, I want you to move to Australia. And at first, particularly Margaret was like, not happening. Her whole life was there. All her family were there, sisters, friends, everything. But the Lord said, no, I want you to get up and go to Australia. And see, we didn't even track this back to the same timing until a few years ago. But we have now realised that when God was doing a divine equation in salvation with me, that he was also working to bring Steve who he intended to be my future husband, all the way over from New Zealand. He removed the McCracken family from New Zealand, which was really hard for them. Now, I'm not saying it was all for me. Of course it was all for me. (laughs) Steve thinks it was. It wasn't. God had a purpose for all of them. But right then and there, I didn't understand that divine equation. I didn't see it. The McCracken family didn't see it. None of us saw it. And here's the thing. We don't often see it with our natural eyes either. I was, I was talking a bit tongue-in-cheek to Steve the other day about this and celebrating in my heart because I was so grateful. I'm like, I, I can't believe that 30 years ago when I was in that broken state, this is what the Lord was doing on my behalf. Yeah. And yet I imagine the conversation that was going on in the throne room of heaven. You know, Father God's sitting there and Jesus is sitting at his right hand. And there's probably some angels around about. I have a good imagination. Does anyone else have a good imagination? Just track with me here for a minute. And maybe there's a few angels around about. And God the Father says, that young man there, he's got a call of a prophet on his life and we need to find him a wife. And he says, let's take him over there to Australia and I pick that one. Now, I'm just imagining, I don't know, do angels have eyebrows? Because I'm imagining a few raised eyebrows going... Have you seen her? Have you seen her past? Have you seen what's going on in her life? And yet Father, because he is from everlasting to everlasting, knew the outcome. You see, I can celebrate 30 years going on now, but at the time I struggled to celebrate. But this is the word of the Lord to you today. Even if there's areas in your life that you feel are still broken... And let's be honest here, we all have stuff that's broken, messed up, whether it's with us, relationships, circumstances. God has an intention. Sometimes we're privileged to see that intention and I can celebrate that now and celebrate what God's done in my life. Sometimes like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, it says they died without even seeing the promise. And that's a hard one. I'm not preaching a very encouraging message today, am I? (laughs) But we need to understand the eternal, the eternal of what Father is doing. And can I encourage you today, if you simply stay in obedience, 
if you just continue to listen to his voice, I guarantee you're going to have moments of celebration too. I guarantee you're going to see what the Lord is doing and you're going to be able to say, look at what the Lord has done. Because you are part of that divine equation and we are part of that divine equation corporately. We are all members of one body in Christ Jesus. And regardless of what is happening around about us, regardless of when the removal is painful or the transition or the things that are going on in your life, I want to encourage us and speak a word of faith today that God's character is always to love and always to give and always to pour out over us. Can we just stand together and pray? Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you that you are a loving God. You are a giving God. Lord, your desire is even when you remove, your desire is to add. And so, Father, as we just stand before you today, I just encourage you, if you're just needing a touch from the Lord, if you're needing encouragement today, would you just reach out to him? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now that you would pour your spirit out on each and every person here today. Lord, would you speak life and encouragement to the places that have been difficult and painful? Would you speak hope where there has been removal? And Lord, would you show us, would you show us through your spirit of wisdom and revelation, your intention for our lives. Lord, would you give us a picture of the future? Give us a picture, Lord, of what your intention is. And Father, even when we don't have that picture, even when the way seems unclear, God, would you help us to know deep in our hearts who we are in Christ, that we can trust you, that we can rely on you in every circumstance, in every situation. And Father, would we be ones as a church who speak life, who build up, Lord, for those who are being stripped away, would we speak life? Would we pour out courage? Would we pour out faith? Lord, and would we journey together in a way which is real and yet hope-filled? God, would we not be a church which is wearing a mask at the wrong times, but Father, would we be a church? that is loving each other and growing together and discipling each other and speaking faith. Speaking faith, Lord. And so I speak into the atmosphere. Lord, for those things that you are doing, Father, we thank you that you are working and moving even when we can't see it. And I also speak into those things that the enemy has tried to steal. Father, we rebuke every spirit which has come against anyone here. We rebuke any spiritual authority, any demon from hell that has tried to cause havoc. Lord, things that the locusts have stolen and we rebuke that in Jesus' name and we declare today. Lord, that you will replace 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Lord, for everything the enemy has stolen. Father, that you will sow the seeds that you desire into each and every person. God, would we be a generation of faith, a generation of faith warriors that is not afraid to step out. 
Lord, a generation of faith warriors that does not carry around the fear of man, that does not carry around feelings of insignificance, but Father, that walks in our position and our identity in Christ. And so, Father, we declare these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.